Welcome to the Closing Time Podcast for Mother's Day, May 12, 2019. I'm Joe McGuire along with Abby Bro. Let's start right off the top. Happy Mother's Day to you, Abby. Oh, thank you so much. I know your day started out super spectacularly. <laughs> yeah. Like, like any good mom's day. Covered yeah. in milk. Covered in milk. <laughs> Not what you wanted. Yeah, my uh, two-year-old spilled milk all over me and my bed this morning and my pillow. It was adorable. Yeah, it's adorable. <laughs> You'll always remember this Mother's Day. Right. So that's of good. I, I know you got a big brunch in you later on today, which is very exciting. <laughs> yeah. Are you taking Max to, is he coming with you? Yes, he is coming after his nap. We got to plan it and we're, we're going there in Old Saybrook to a nice little place for dinner, actually. Taking the wife out to a new place in Weathersfield, the river. We haven't been there yet. Oh. I asked her if she wanted all four kids to uh, accompany us mm-hmm. and she said no. No. She's smart. Yeah. yeah. So they will, they will not be joining us this evening. Now, uh, on last week's show, we talked about a story uh, where a gym was discriminating against realtors. Mm-hmm. And um, we didn't like it. We felt like it was uh, it was singing out realtors who were just trying to do their jobs. We, we do have a tendency of telling everybody and anybody what yeah, we I do. Think, I think we didn't like it, but we get it. Sure, sure. And we, well, we did, and we talked about that, that, mm-hmm. you know, there's certainly a time and a place. And, you know, when somebody is on the elliptical, that's not the best time to ask them if they're thinking of buying or selling. Mm-hmm. Turns out, though, that that article was, uh, was not true. It was a it was complete... satirical yeah. article. <laughs> and the satire was clearly lost on us, although we're not the only ones. No. <laughs> yeah. So there is no gym. That is discriminating against realtors, which is great news because I'm looking for a gym. Nice. Yeah. I didn't realize that. I am. I would like to I'd like to get in shape. You know, mm-hmm. uh the the fine folks in our office, New England Prestige Realty, are very health conscious. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's some talk about a 515 workout club. Yeah, the first uh, one being this week, this coming yeah. week. I can't wait for that. Yeah, it's gonna be good. That is gonna be awesome. All right, so there is a lot of real estate news going on. The big story, uh, Zillow wants to buy your home. Mm-hmm. That's right. Uh, established companies like Zillow and the venture-backed upstarts like Open Door and OfferPad have raised billions of dollars with the premise that they can use their sophisticated algorithms to predict the value of individual homes. Now, they believe their predictions, combined with some old-fashioned economies of scale, will allow them to be more, more efficient than traditional home flippers. You know, generally speaking now, Zillow is generally not accurate at all. Um, Yeah, I've seen it. Well, sometimes it can be, actually. I mean, no, I'm not saying. I'm just saying yeah. generally speaking, it, 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 I wouldn't go with a Zillow. I wouldn't go no. with the Zillow thing. And I mean, uh, it's not like they're not in the ballpark. Yeah, it's something to factor in because you realize that buyers and sellers in your community are also looking at that number. So it's definitely something to keep in mind, but you really need to go and have general or um, widespread market knowledge of um, the the condition, the age, the location of, of your home and, and how that compares to other homes in the area. Now, these companies and their backers say that they're going to do what tech is best at, bringing efficiency and convenience to a process that's not known for either. I don't mm-hmm. know if I necessarily agree with that thought, uh, Silicon Valley has already changed the way we hail cabs and order takeout, so why not improve a transaction that even well-educated professionals find intimidating? 
At best, skeptics, though, see this instant buying, also known as iBuying, as an overhyped capital-intensive business whose explosive growth will fizzle once investors tire of profit margins that Zillow itself calls razor-thin. This is not a great idea, generally speaking. This instant buying is a small part of the market. It's growing at ridiculous speeds. Zillow bought fewer than 500 homes last year. They plan on buying 5,000 homes per month in the next three to five years. Wow. That is ridiculous. These companies basically aim to hold homes for about 90 days or less before selling them to an individual buyer. Mm -hmm. That's not... I mean, again, I'm not really sure what the play is here. The play is the fact that they are also having their own mortgage companies. So... Not only are you going to buy the house from them, but you're going to get the mortgage from them. So that's why they're not worried about no. the razor thin profit. They're not worried because they're going to make the money in the mortgages. And also that means that they're going to set the price of your home. Well, so here's so the... they're going to sell it to you and they're going to tell you how much it costs. Right. Yeah, that's that. That's what you want. Yeah, that that seems like a great deal. Mm-hmm. Not a fan of that. Mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't see how that's going to work. But you know what? You can't you can't fault them for trying. <laughs> Well, yeah, I guess. <laughs> you, I mean, you might as yeah, well. You yeah. know, I mean, and, and I think in a lot of ways, I think Redfin is kind of doing a, a similar play, kind mm-hmm. of going about things a little bit differently. But again, it's the mortgages where where they see the benefits and not necessarily in the actual home sale. So That's what I'm thinking. They'll try to destroy realtors in the real estate market to try to make money on their mortgages. Yeah. You know what's interesting? We should definitely, I know we talked about having people on here, but I think next week we, we've talked about having a loan officer on. And this is something we'd love to have their input on. We did try to get a loan officer Today. on for this week, but She's this a isn't mommy. really. Yeah, <laughs> we were lucky to get Abby to show up yeah. this week, let alone someone else. So next week, we'll be speaking with a loan officer. So, and, and that's a good idea because look, there, there's a lot of there's a lot of stuff that people need to be educated about because mm-hmm. there are a lot of scams out there, especially on the internet. So if you're going to buy and sell your house on the internet and get your mortgage on the internet, which I wouldn't recommend. I don't even recommend like buying anything on the internet, generally speaking, unless it's from like Amazon. Real estate and rental internet crimes affected 11,300 people last year and cost $150 million in losses. That is nearly up threefold, according to the FBI. Stories of these online scammers targeting both agents and homeowners are many. For instance, a retired pastor lost 130000 on a wire fraud transfer that he thought was for a house. Mm. There was no house. Uh, scammers sometimes create fake leads that look like they come from Zillow or Realtor.com. And most recently, a Forbes contributor got a fraudulent message from someone who was pretending to be her escrow officer, told her she needed to immediately wire money or lose the home she'd been trying to close on for several weeks. I mean, that's one of those things where... You get a phone call, and I'm telling you, I'm from the escrow company. Mm-hmm. Oh, boy, you're about to lose that house. Right. You put all that blood, sweat, and tears into getting that thing. Yeah. You looked for it for a year. You you know, you paid for your home inspection. You're dealing with all these people asking you for documentation every day. And then all of a sudden, you get a weird phone call. But that's not weird because people ask for you. It's the first stuff all the time. Sure. Whatever you need, I'll do it. Right. 
that's generally the mindset you go into. And this yeah. is why, again, why I feel like you got to be educated on this process. And yeah. going through the internet to get a mortgage is a horrible idea. Mm. The FBI found over 350,000 incidents of internet-enabled theft, fraud, and exploitation. That's up 15% from 2017. You know, this is this is bad. Yeah, this this used to be a fifty six million dollar a year thing. And now it's up over one hundred and fifty million. Wow. One of the most important things that that buyers and agents can do when they spot a scam is get on the phone. Mm -hmm. Someone asks you to wire money over. You probably want to get on the phone and and get that from an actual human being and, and make sure that you're calling your agent. Or if you're the agent, make sure you're calling your you know, escrow office or, or, or the mortgage lender and find out if that's an actual real thing. Yeah. But I, I think especially if, you, if you're the if you're the buyer or the seller in one of these deals, if somebody calls you up and asks for money, probably a good idea to ask your agent. Mm-hmm. Is that? Yeah. You didn't 100%. mention that uh, 15 grand I was supposed to send over today. Yeah. No. And in addition to these kind of wire fraud, you know, schemes, have you ever had the one where someone takes your listing and puts it on Craigslist and says it's up for rent? Yes. Yeah. That one's terrible. And I feel so bad. You know, a lot of times I have um, clients that have dogs and they're looking for rentals and it's hard to get, you know, if you have a big dog, it's hard to get you in a rental. So they're looking everywhere. They're looking on Craigslist. They're looking, you know, on Facebook and they send me all these lists like, oh my gosh, you haven't told me about this one. They say they take dogs. And I'm like, oh, that's because it's a scam, you know? I'll tell you. It makes us look bad. You know, it's terrible. Scammers are getting more sophisticated. They're getting, you know, sometimes they'll they'll take an old scam and kind of modernize it to yeah. today. Anything that looks too good to be true or seems sketchy, it probably is. So yep. best to best to proceed with caution or just walk away. Now, I mentioned a little bit earlier, uh, Redfin. They've got this new program that will enable homeowners to purchase homes with out agents, yeah, saving commission fees for both the buyer and the seller. Now, the company launched Redfin Direct as a pilot program in Boston in March, and they've announced uh, recently that that this is a plan that they're going to be implementing. It works like this: homes that are listed by Redfin in a market where the program is available get a banner ad on the online listing explaining that the home can be bought online without an agent. The listing agent or the person representing the seller will be paid the standard Redfin commission, which is either 1% or 1.5% of the sale price of the home. Redfin Direct calculates 2% of the asking price of a home, which is the average of what a buyer's agent might expect to be paid. That amount is split between the buyer and the seller, saving both people money. Uh, many industry observers think the real estate is long overdue for some sort of sliding scale service, and this very well could be one of those things that pushes it into that direction. I don't get it. You can do this now. Sure. You could do this now. So what's Redfin? Like, how are these people, how are the buyers being represented? How are they, how is their interest being represented and, and taken care of? They're not. They're not at Redfin's all. is. So they're just selling out their protection or any sort of guarantees or anything or, or just for a few thousand dollars. Well, sure. Listen, for anybody who's not in the real estate business who yeah. is listening to this, there's a reason you sign a buyer's agent and there's a reason you have a listing agent. The listing agent is there to cater to the buyer and they put their fiduciary responsibilities to that person. And the buyer's agent, same thing there. 
and we're trying to find a, an equitable deal that the House will appraise at where everybody goes home a winner. Mm-hmm. When there's only one side sort of pushing the whole thing through, I, I mean, there's no way that that will ever be equitable or fair. Right. It, it just won't be. The seller wants to get as much money as possible. The buyer wants to get it for as little money as possible. And if there's only one person sort of overseeing the transaction, I don't know how you're able to serve both of those people. Well, it doesn't look like they're doing a dual agency situation. It seems like the seller is literally the only side that's being represented by a professional. Right. Like back in the good old days when Mm, real estate was buyer beware. Yeah, right. Yeah. I don't think we want to go back to those no. days. There's a there's a reason that that, that there was this big push for buyers to get represented because they were getting screwed and, and taken advantage of left, right, and sideways. Mm-hmm. Because unfortunately, and this is my fear in this particular sort of situation is, you know, even when people have your best interests at heart, sometimes things don't go in your favor. Right. Imagine when the seller is getting all the representation and you're just sort of being told what to to go along with. Mm-hmm. How are you getting any sort of representation? How are you getting any sort of education through the process? How are you understanding any of what's happening in that case? Because again, Redfin would be the mortgage company. Right. And they're the ones selling the house mm-hmm. on behalf of the seller. So if you're a buyer, I'm telling you, you're 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 just you're you're not you're not being served here. So this is rolling out in Boston. So I'm not positive about what's going on in that market. Um, but I wonder if they're just trying to do it in hot markets where um, listings are going fast and buyers have to be malleable and, and just do whatever they can to get a, get a home. But um, I also wonder why this is happening. Is it because um, realtors are getting a bad name? Maybe they feel that we might be not worth what you know we're getting paid and they think they can just do better well, which is bad you i think that. when you look at the class action lawsuits yeah filed against keller williams and some of the bigger agencies that's been big a big part of the problem is that there's this you know pretty much set six percent you know sometimes we'll go five percent but it's it's at a point where I think a company like Redfin sees this as the right time to try yeah. to jump in while there's some confusion, while there's some question. This this would be the right time to introduce a program like this. I see those rocket mortgage commercials all the time. Yeah. And I got a lot of friends in, in, in the mortgage industry. I know you do as well. And mm-hmm. I've asked them about it. And they're like, it, it's a scam. Yeah. I mean, again, there's a lot of cool things you could buy on the Internet. Mm-hmm. A home and a mortgage are probably not the best ideas. I also wouldn't buy a car online. Right. I just there's some things I if I'm going to spend more than five grand, I gotta see it, touch it, get in it, yeah. use it, make sure I like it. I'm not just going to point and click. Mm-hmm. Anybody who knows the mortgage business knows that pointing and clicking, like a 45 second application process. Uh, I'm sorry. Right. That is not thorough uh, at all. And 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 that leads us into the next story. Redfin Mortgage hits three <laughs> new states. Woo. Yes, they've moved into Florida, Maryland, and Tennessee. They're now in 12 states. Redfin Mortgage offers a fully digital home closing process thanks to its integration with Title Forward, their title and settlement company. <laughs> Redfin is trying to 
literally cut agents out of the entire process. And apparently attorneys as well. Oh, yeah. Unless these are not attorney states. I'm not sure. So so some of these. So they're available in 12 states. Both Redfin Mortgage and Title Forward are available in 12 states. Not necessarily in the same 12 where the Redfin Mortgage is available. Gotcha. They're working at it. But as of right now, that's where they're at. Mm -hmm. You fill out a quick online application. They typically pre-approve you for a loan in 90 minutes or less and provide a 30-day closing guarantee. Mm. Now, we all like a 30-day closing, Abby. Yeah. But we also like to do our due diligence before we get to that. Yeah. And I don't think 90 minutes quite cuts the mustard for me. Right. And a lot of times the... uh, they can do we can do 30 day closings all the time, but there are so many variables, the condition of the home, you know, any sort of repairs that need to be made. But I guess what's happening in these situations with Redfin is that they are uh, when they buy the homes, they are making all of the necessary repairs before it goes on the market. So that's interesting. So maybe going forward for our sellers, it's something that we should push more. If this is something that we have to compete with, that you should have your home inspection, your pre-listing uh, inspection, and then make any necessary repairs. Because I know it's something we talk about, but yep. not all sellers do that. So, it, I mean, this will change the the industry in more ways than one. So Redfin also put out a release saying that their agents are not compensated for recommending Redfin Mortgage or Title Forward, mm. which would be illegal. So that's good. That's actually a good point. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> You can't do that, but yeah. that doesn't mean you're not nudging your client in that direction. If you yeah. want to get the full end-to-end experience with Redfin, yeah, I mean, you could hire an outside mortgage company. Mm-hmm. You could get an outside agent, but they're certainly not going to be recommending that either. Mm-hmm. So I think you as a customer would feel almost forced to go with Redfin Mortgage or Title Forward. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm not sure how you wouldn't. I, I worked in an office... Uh, for a company here in Connecticut that had its own in-house mortgage guy. And initially it was like, oh, you know, you could have him kind of, you know, maybe he could just call on your client if you don't mind. And I'm right. like, no, my client already had a mortgage. I actually got the listing, uh, the the buyer through this mortgage guy. Actually, it was a referral. Yeah. And they were like, but is it all right if he calls them anyway? And I was like, I'd rather he didn't because it was a referral. Yeah, that's weird. And he did anyway. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. I I left that office. (laughs) I didn't like that. I don't like anything shady. Yeah. Well, we're happy to have you. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Uh, Speaking of shady, the California Department (laughs) of Real Estate filed a complaint against the virtual brokerage documenting 72 state regulation violations. EXP Realty has 1,941 sales agents in California. 72 state regulations. These are violations over display names, lack of supervision, posting on social media pages, business names, and at least in one case, yes, an agent conducting business without a license. (laughs) I mean, EXP, what are you doing? Wow. This complaint uh, accuses the virtual real estate brokerage of a lack of supervision under the guidance of Ray Marquez, who is the state broker for the state of California. EXP Realty says the company is aware of the complaint. They can't comment on an open investigation. Mm-hmm. That is not a denial, so that's <laughs> that's not good. This complaint accuses five EXP California teams of not displaying uh, their logo as prominently as their team name. Right. 17 agents or brokers of listing office addresses that were not registered with the state. 
22 agents or brokers who failed to list a license number on their advertising. It also accuses EXP Realty of failing to notify the state that it had hired five new licensees. Mm. That is not... You know what's funny? A lot of the times when you go to like trainings and meetings in the office, they kind of go over stuff like that, what advertising's supposed to look like. Yeah. And and I feel like a lot of the times people spend more time on their coffee and muffin than they do that maybe that time. really paying attention because, you know, again, we go to trainings and we have all sorts of things surrounding this, but, you know, EXP is a pretty huge company right. and this is just this is bad. This is bad for them. This is a, an, another black eye in the real estate market, and it's not. I know. Why are we talking about, like, about all these negatives? I don't know. I don't like it, and let's, I let's and change I change it up next week. We should definitely <laughs> let's do the good real estate news. It's yeah. unfortunate, but I mean, here's the thing: any black eye in the real estate industry is a black eye for all realtors, right? And and you know, again, we we talk about this whole commission thing and the uh, antitrust lawsuits, and you know, we've had other scam artists and and other companies kind of doing shady things i think the industry kind of needs to clean things up a little bit Mm -hmm. you know it's hard to believe abby that everybody's not just on the up and up when it comes to this because there's plenty of business to go around for everybody oh 100 and this we're not saying that all exp realtors are like this this is just happening in california at the moment um, sure, it's unfair. I, I feel bad yeah. for the good ones. They don't deserve that. That 72 violations is insane. That's a lot. That is way too many. Yeah. com. You can check out all of these stories on the blog page. You can also follow us on Instagram and Facebook. Make sure you like our Facebook page. You can interact with us uh, any time of day. We're also uh, more than happy to get industry professionals on, mortgage people, uh, people in the uh, home inspection business, closing realtors. Uh, pretty much a closing attorneys. Closing attorneys. I mean, closing realtors. I got realtors on the mind I'm today. I'm a closing realtor. Yeah, you are. Uh, so, so uh, by all means, feel free to, to reach out uh, on our Facebook page. We're always happy to uh, engage. So we'll take a look now at some Connecticut real estate news, including development officials here in the state are expecting to make a substantial progress by the end of the year in marketing the state's 72 federally designated opportunity zone sites. This is awesome. This is really great news. The IRS recently released an updated set of regulations for investors in opportunity zones to clarify the procedures under a tax benefit program established by the White House in 2017 as part of the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act. I will say this about Donald Trump. I'm glad he's a real estate guy mm. because he gets it. And for any realtor who did their taxes this year, I think you saw with the pass-through entity and stuff like that, it, it actually, it was it was good. I think that this was actually pushed forth by Booker, though. Booker and Murphy. They, that's the ones who did this. Is that? Well, yeah. but again, <laughs> right? I'm just, look, look, it, it, it was all part of the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act. Yeah. I don't care where it came from. Mm-hmm. I'm just saying... Anything that's pro-real estate is pro-Joe McGuire. Right. Uh, This program is designed to encourage private investment in lower-income areas all around the country. We have 27 towns with opportunity sites here in Connecticut, Hartford, New Haven, and Waterbury, uh, also Meriden, Wyndham, and Putnam, Mm -hmm. uh, some of the smaller to mid-sized communities, but 27 in all. Uh, There's still more to be clarified at the federal level, but the state right now is preparing new materials to show what sites have to offer and when they can add as far as value for private investigators, uh, investors. Nope. <laughs> what am I talking about? Uh, this development committee has been meeting with officials in these 27 towns to talk about what they can do. 
Uh, don't expect this to be a magic pill, but the tax no. incentives involved could make a difference in projects that involve maybe a little bit too much financial risk for investors. So this is really good news, especially for Hartford, New Haven, Waterbury, Meriden, some of these some of these towns that that I think could use a little bit of a boost that could use, uh, you know, some some new taxable income yeah. that could use some new business opportunities to sort of you know, reinvigor their towns. Right. Yeah. I actually have some investors that have been looking at houses in um, West Haven and Bridgeport. So the thing is though, is that it's really um, localized and, and they carve it out in certain neighborhoods and you could be looking at a house that falls into the zone, but the house next door does not. So you have to just, you know, connect with your realtor. Um, so he or she can pick out those zones if you're interested. Yeah, see, again, this is a situation where you want a human being right. that you could work with. I'm right. not sure if uh, if clicking on, on a, a website is going to get you what you need. Right. So with just four weeks left in the Connecticut legislative session, state Democrats say that a future cut in the state's gasoline tax could be a key factor in whether to approve electronic highway tolls. Governor Ned Lamont did not include a gasoline tax cut in his budget in February, but he now says that he's open to the idea, but he wants the tolls first. Mm. First, you give him the tolls, and then he'll think about cutting the gasoline tax. I don't know. I I like Ned Lamont for the most part. Mm -hmm. Again, I've heard great things. I hear he's very open-minded. He's interested in what both sides have to say. I don't like the idea of giving up before getting because I feel like the getting part never ends up happening in that case. Right. And I know a lot of people aren't happy about it. Now, our state has a weird, complicated gasoline tax now anyway. There's a 25 cent flat tax for each gallon you purchase. But it also charges a gross receipts tax that fluctuates with the wholesale price of gas. Mm -hmm. So sometimes gas is two fifty a gallon, sometimes it's four. Wait, what? Yeah. Gasoline fluctuates. I so, haven't seen four yet. Yeah, well <laughs> you might. It's been a couple years since we've seen four dollars a gallon, That's true. but it, it no, happens. I remember. And and who's to say in the future it won't? We're already uh stirring the pot with Iran again, yeah. which is which is always a good way to get gas prices to go up. Mm. So watch out for that. Now in this bill that's under discussion among Democrats in the legislature. The amount of the gasoline tax cut would be tied to the amount raised by the tolls rather than the set amount. And and that's not a great idea because we need revenue in the state because we have a spending problem. We right. don't have a revenue problem. We definitely need money. But we need more money because we have such a terrible spending problem. The idea that you're going to cut the gas tax to offset what you get by the tolls doesn't make you any more money. Mm-hmm. And, and so that is a big part of the problem here uh, as far as why uh, there's a lot of wheel spinning at this point. Obviously, extensive lobbying. There's been a lot of public testimony in recent months, and lawmakers just cannot agree whether tolls are going to be approved. The Senate president pro temp, Martin Looney, would not predict whether there would be even a vote by the end on June 5th. Lamont senior advisor Colleen Flanagan Johnson says definitely got the votes. So we shall see, I suppose. With that in mind, there were 100,000 signatures delivered via petition to Governor Ned Lamont this past week. 
right after the petition was dropped off, a rally was held at the state capitol. This anti-toll movement is is really firing back. This petition argues taxpayers shouldn't have to pay to drive to work. The Connecticut Construction Association says tolls are a long-term solution. Mm -hmm. It does put some of the burden on out-of-state drivers. Here's the problem. Numbers released just in the last month show that Basically, Hartford to New Haven, you're talking about $1.28 to $1.80 per trip. That's crazy. This isn't round trip. That is per trip. Uh, Do you think that people's um, habits are going to change because of this? I mean, working from home, perhaps taking the train? Oh, yeah. Well, you know, we we were talking on, on my political podcast about, you know, the people who take the train. Yeah. On average, make $150,000 a year. And a lot of the money that's going into the transportation fund is going to go to the train system. Mm, interesting. And I mean, so the, we're just going to keep pouring money into that, right? There's about a dozen people on the train that could pay for the whole thing, right? So again, I can understand where the middle class of Connecticut, where we're already taxed to death, right, are starting to feel that squeeze. It's certainly going to change habits, and that's part of what they're kind of going for, is they're hoping that by charging, it'll ease congestion on the roadways. Are people going to have to move closer to work? There's a good chance they are. Yeah. I was a traffic reporter. That's right. For many years, well, not many years, for, for a few years, and I will tell you, the traffic patterns from 645 to about 845 every day mm -hmm. are the exact same. Yeah. And from 2.30 p.m. to about 5.45, it's the same thing. Anywhere you go, you're going to find the same backups at the same time because that's when people get out of work mm -hmm. and that's the way they go home. People in this state, there's a reason you don't hear alternate routes given on the radio in Connecticut anymore. People weren't taking them. Oh, yeah. People would just drive into it anyway and sit there yep. angry. <laughs> And so we just stopped doing that because they weren't taking our advice. and, and or, or on the rare occasion they did, everybody would do it. Mm -hmm. And then the alternate route would get all backed up. But do you also do you think that like having GPS in your hand and having it tell you at a moment's notice to get off the highway now because you're just going to be sitting in traffic for the night. I mean, that's got to change something too, you know? Well, sure. And, yeah. you know, here's a big thing, and I think a lot of people don't quite understand this, but whenever there's a fatality on the highways mm – -hmm. The highway has to be shut down for the accident recreation. And that's like a four to five hour minimum process, wow. usually up to eight hours. When they shut down the highway, I got news for you. Nobody could pass through it. It's a crime scene. Right. So they start diverting you off the highway onto some local route to get you back up and around to get you back up onto the next exit of the highway. Right. It's not good. And that's why that happens. This is not my life anymore. It's so interesting because when I used to have a nine to five job, I would have to obviously get on the highway at the same time every day to get to work at the same time every day. Our our daily, you know, schedule kind of changes all the time. And a lot of times in the morning I'm staying local, whether that's working out at the gym or getting work done at the house or going to the office. Um, I don't need to be somewhere until the afternoon. But you know what gets me? Shift changes on like for like Sikorsky or Pratt and Whitney, those shift changes get me in the middle yep. of the day. You you can't beat traffic. Mm -hmm. If you're trying to play that game, I promise you'll lose. Meanwhile, Governor Mott uh, has been saying that he will release an updated toll plan 
However, it will still include at least 50 gantries on all the major highways, including the Merritt Parkway, mm-hmm. which I know a lot of people were hopeful wasn't going to get it. There's that whole no exit zone basically through the Reading area. So you have to pay. You've got to pay. Yeah. You're going to have a really... It would. You'd probably end up spending more in gas money to get around this thing than if you were to just go through it. I would love to hear what people think about this, whether you're a realtor or not, and how this might affect you. Yeah. Well, again, I think realtors will... You know, find a way. If you don't start your business day till nine, mm-hmm. you're in much better shape. I'm more curious how everyone else is going to handle this because, you know, again, I think as realtors, we can adjust our schedule mm-hmm. to maximize this. Uh, regular people can't, no. and that's and that's really unfortunate. Now, there was another bit of big news here in the state of Connecticut, and it's being received differently depending on political party. House legislators here in Connecticut passed a bill on Thursday that would increase the minimum wage to 15 an hour. It passed 85-59. Uh, two of the 59 were Democrats. The vote comes after lawmakers discussed it overnight, uh, late Wednesday into Thursday morning. Once approved, more than 320,000 workers in this state will receive a pay raise. I'm just going to point out right now that this is a state with 3.8 million people. Mm. 320,000 is a substantial amount of people. Right. This pay raise will be incremental. It'll take full effect by 2023. It starts January of 2020 when it goes from 1010 to 1125. Uh, Now, according to the bill, 16 and 17-year-old workers would just get 85% of minimum wage at first. After 90 days, once they've proven that they're worthy, they would get bumped up to $15 an hour. And, Abby, that's been... One of the biggest arguments by people who are anti yeah. the minimum wage, well, 16 and 17 year olds, they don't deserve 15 an hour. Well, they're not going to get it. Mm-hmm. How does that sound? Right. And there's even a, there's going to be a provision put in that you can't go out and hire 16 and 17 year olds just to circumvent the minimum wage, mm-hmm. which is, which is also smart because again, whereas I think most business owners and I'm a small business owner myself, I understand, I understand the idea that you're not trying to increase your payroll. Uh, with nothing given in return, but I've been to places where workers are very well compensated. And they're happy and they do really great work. And they stay. And they stay. And I've been at places where people aren't are poorly compensated and it is reflective in everything about the business. Mm-hmm. You get what you pay for. Right. Plain and simple. Yeah. So, and I mean, these jobs are not meant to be careers for long periods of time. Um, but you want people to stay with you and do really great work. And I mean, the only reason that people would really leave from these, these jobs is to either, um, you know, get a better job, grow in their career or because their boss is terrible. Well, again, I think a lot of people are of the mindset that we're just talking about McDonald's and fast food. No. And there are a lot more places that pay minimum wage. And one of them, including EMTs, isn't there, you know? Yeah. So and and again, look here. here, This is a situation where, you know, EMTs are going to start making more money. Right. Because if I got to compete with McDonald's paying 15 or I could be an EMT for 15. I mean, McDonald's is a lot easier job. It's not any anything life or death happening over there. So we're hoping that as the, you know, the price of living goes up. Your wages go up. This is the first start. Sure. Supply and demand. Yeah. You know, 
if they can't hire EMTs at 15 an hour because everyone's going to work at fast food, mm-hmm. you're going to have to bump that to 18, yeah. 20. Right. You're going to have to do that. And then people making 20 are going to be like, wait a minute, I can be an EMT instead of a doctor for $20 an hour? I'll do that. Right. Again, it'll it would, it'll just naturally bump everybody's pay. It's important also, note for anybody who's against this, that inflation is up, corporate profits are up, CEOs are making 3,000% better salaries than they did during the 80s, and wages are down 3% over the last three years. Mm-hmm. So, I don't know. Yeah. It it just it just seems like this is just the right time. And I'm I'm looking forward to see what this does to our business. Yeah, it'll it'll be interesting. Yeah. It'll be interesting to say the least. And let's talk about our business. Yeah, please. Uh the National Association of Realtors uh put out this really cool little flow chart though. Gonna have some fun with this for a little bit. A little infographic. Who is the typical realtor? Now, I'm stunned by this very first stat here, Abby. Tell mm. me how you feel about this. The median age of a typical realtor is 54 years old. That is interesting. I don't think anybody in our office is even close to 50. Um, yes, there is one person. Is it me? Because I'm 43. <laughs> I don't. I think I'm the oldest person there. Is there somebody older? Yeah. Oh, there is. Yeah. <laughs> Thank God for that guy. <laughs> Um, also, and, and I found this one interesting, 67% of realtors are female. Right. I whoop feel whoop. like every movie and TV show I watch, the realtor is always a dude. Recently? or Well, no, maybe not recently. Maybe this is just over the course of my lifetime. Maybe that is oh, starting like to shift. Modern Family? Well, sure. He's the most, you know, Phil Dunphy's the most know. famous realtor on TV. I'm kind of obsessed with um, the Santa Clarita diet right now. They're both realtors. Uh-huh. And she's a zombie. <laughs> and I just love it. I love it. Real estate and zombies. Yeah. Two of my absolute favorite things. Uh, another cool thing about realtors, 70% of them are married, mm-hmm. which is good because... You know, I think in most situations, uh, there's probably two buyers, you know, some kind of a couple. Mm -hmm. And I think to at least have the experience of a relationship, of a committed relationship, I think is is more helpful in understanding that with any good buyer, that there are two different perspectives. How that dynamic works. Yes. Working with a partner. Big time. Like I said, I've had... I've had my last couple of clients. As a matter of fact, the last two clients I had were sisters. Mm-hmm. And their husbands are awesome dudes. I love them both very much. It really didn't matter what either one of those guys thought. <laughs> it just didn't. No. You know, they could chime in. It was welcomed. But I knew I wasn't selling it to them. No. And that's they, typical. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, again, I, I think to understand the dynamic because I think if, if if you don't know the dynamic of a relationship like that, you might be prone to be like, she's a little bossy. Let me work the dude. And it's mm-hmm. like, you're wasting your time. <laughs> it was funny, actually. My So it's typical that wives are the ones that buy real estate. And that was not the case with my husband and I. And I think it's because he wore me down for about five years. <laughs> <laughs> I tell he, people, he bought it in the end. I tell people all the time, my wife was the worst real estate client I've ever had. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. my goodness. Every time I took my wife into a house, mm-hmm. we saw seven houses before we bought our house. Okay. She wanted to buy each of the seven. Oh, wow. And she declared that 
within about 20 seconds of walking into each I love one. It. <laughs> oh my goodness. She was the worst because I would, you know, again, and this is sort of how I do real estate with my clients too. Mm-hmm. She's like, oh yeah, I, I like this one a lot. We could live here. Yeah. And I would be like, are you sure? You got to play devil's advocate. I had to yeah. because I didn't like those houses. Okay. Well, then you had different motives. Yeah. Then, yeah, you had more at stake. I got the one I wanted. And it ended up being the one she wanted. It's a great house. Thank goodness. Uh, 49% of realtors have a bachelor's degree or higher. Do you have a bachelor's degree? I do not. You don't? I don't, no. I I went to Southern Connecticut State University. Mm -hmm. I almost got my bachelor's degree. And then I moved on to broadcasting school where I graduated. Okay. So I don't have a bachelor's. Okay. I graduated from a broadcasting school. That's why I sound like this. Yeah. Um, 84% of realtors own their own home. And I must admit, I wish that number were closer to 100. Mm -hmm. Because I'll tell you what, especially in, I would say now, I've been saying the last five years, but it's probably more like the last seven. If you haven't bought a house in the last decade or so, Mm -hmm. you don't understand the process. You could be the best realtor in the world if you don't own a home and you've never gone yeah. through the process. I don't know if you understand the hell it's become for a buyer to deal with. Yeah. Because it's a pretty complicated process, much more than when I, I started doing this in 2006. Mm-hmm. And it has gotten exponentially more difficult mm-hmm. to go through the process. But here's the thing for a lot of these agents um, that don't own homes, it could be because they are investing in their business. So it doesn't make sense for them to purchase a home at the time. So homes are a great investment. Investing in real estate is, um, for me, number one. But also investing yourself is also number one. Um, So putting that money that you would put into a home into your business where you can grow more money um, and then buy the home that you really want down the road. You know, perhaps you're not ready to invest and pay taxes into um, a community where you're not utilizing the school system yet. There's a lot of reasons why people are renters, and I 100% support those people as well. That's solid. I'm yeah. just saying I wouldn't take gymnastic lessons from a guy who's 400 pounds and can't do a backflip. I just wouldn't do it. You it know just wouldn't who feel I right. took gymnastics lessons from for 10 years? No. James Vanderbeek's mother. Okay. <laughs> that is the most random thing we're ever going to hear. No, you'll get more than That's that. That's so cool. Yeah. I forgot you had the James Vanderbeek connection. Because I grew up in Cheshire. For anybody who doesn't know James Vanderbeek, he was in that awesome show, Dawson's Creek. And he was in the movie Varsity Blues. Blues. Yeah. I wasn't a Dawson's Creek person. No. So I didn't like Vanderbeek. And then Varsity Blues came out. All on board. Oh, he's awesome. That did it for you. I don't know why he's still not famous. I watch his Instagram stories. He's famous on Instagram. No, I think he's in a show. Is like some he? Cop blues show. Bluesy cop. Blue show. bloods. Blue. No, no, I don't think that's it. Maybe I don't know. He's Could in be. something. No, I hope he's doing something. I like yeah. Vanderbeek. Uh, the median years of experience of your typical realtor is eight. One more than me. Is that right? Yeah. No, I've got that beat. <laughs> I got that taken care of. Uh, and the last statistic, uh, who the typical realtor is, 38% own a second property. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I believe that. But I thought it would be a little bit higher. I would think that would have been a little bit higher, too. Yeah. And I plan on making that higher myself. Yeah, awesome. Yeah, the wife and I are definitely looking at purchasing a vacation home oh. in the near future. In Connecticut or no? No. Yeah, well... No. 
You know, it's funny. Some some friends of mine um um live right down towards like Musquamacet, mm-hmm. kind of down in that area, but in the Connecticut side, right? Um, the Cape is also definitely on the list, although you know, yeah, to get a nice one on the Cape, it's a little. You got to think about the extra tolls you're gonna have to pay to get there, though. Oh yeah, <laughs> tolls. Damn it. <laughs> So, I mean, seriously, and it's not a joke, but those are certainly serious things you have to consider when you're looking at things like tolls and the idea that, I mean, that's a long ride. Yeah. That's a long ride down the shore. And it's also, I mean, I'm in Weathersfield. Yeah. Going to. I know. My, my in-laws live up in East Lyme. And on the weekends, going to visit them, you just you kind of have to take a double think of, do you really want to sit in the it's funny. For hours. it's funny when I go to Boston or I go to the city mm. and I go, I think I go enough. Uh, I don't really think much about paying the tolls no. or crossing the bridges or going through the tunnels. I don't really think much about it because you just got to do it. Yeah, it's just 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 the way it goes. So I, I think in some ways I'm not sure why people are freaking out about tolls here. Do you remember when we used to have tolls? I mean, I was very young. I was a baby yeah. when... The big crash happened at the gantries that was right. the reason and led to them getting rid of the tolls, mm-hmm. which, again, the whole idea behind tolls is stupid. You know, it, it, it's I, I mean, I, I'm not saying from a, a tax revenue standpoint, I uh, mean, the okay. actual gantries. Can, can we just you've got all sorts of GPS and satellites. It, there must be a way that you can tag the cars. There is a way. That's what they're doing now. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Right. But I, I, so I don't, I, I mean, you should be able to just roll right through these bad boys, right? That's the and whole that's idea. What they're doing. No, no, there's no throwing change or, you know. No, 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 no. I hate that. That's gone. Those are the worst. Yeah. You leave your house, don't you? So you, you, you realize that this is already happening. I, you have to understand something that, first of all, as a, as a radio morning show host, I used to go to work at five and get out at 10. Yeah. I didn't, I didn't know that. Everybody else in the state was just sitting in traffic for at least 20 minutes out of their day. Mm-hmm. I didn't even know that was going on. Right. I was oblivious to the whole thing. Every morning now when I leave my house, oh, my God. Yeah. I know what road rage is yeah, now. I understand that. in the morning, that. you have to be somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. No, now um, they do just have, you know, a camera that sees your license plate and then sends you a letter in the mail saying you owe them 50 cents. Do you get one for each time or can they yeah. tabulate? So you're just going to get so a... you get one for each time. But then also if you have, I don't have them, but if you have the the easy pass, yes. then you're done. So I think that's my point. Everybody so, should just get an easy pass. Well, they right. should literally send one out to, to everybody? every address in the state. Well, that's the thing. There's different companies throughout you know, the different regions of the country. No good. Yeah. So yeah. you have to regionalize them and then somebody has the monopoly and blah, blah, blah. A lot to think about. There's so much that goes into it, and yeah. it's unfortunate. And again, I think for anybody who's wondering when this is going to happen, this is like years out. Yeah. This isn't going to happen next summer or within two years. This is like a five-year plan. But so. will it affect the market now? Um, Because yeah. people are planning. Oh, Where do you want to be in five years? Because well, that's how the market works. It certainly does. You yeah. know, when, when you're when you're considering, you know, a long-term 30-year investment, mm-hmm. yeah, tolls, that'll, that'll certainly have a negative impact one would think closing time podcast.com is the website you can get links to all of these fantastic stories find out so much more you see listings get all of our previous episodes and so much more you can also learn all sorts of great stuff about abby and i 
Although I, they wouldn't have known about that James Vanderbeek. They thing. wouldn't. They wouldn't. That's not on my website though. Should there I... needs to be a whole weird a little, section. A tab. Uh, yeah, here's some other weird things you should know about us. I'm on it. You can also follow us on Instagram and Facebook. Closing time podcast. So once again, I'd like to wish you a very happy Mother's Day. Thank you oh, so much you. for uh, being a part of the show today. Thank you. Yeah. And to we, everyone out there as well. Yeah. Uh, happy Mother's Day to my mom, to your mom, yep. to my wife, and to all the wonderful moms, and, and to all the people who aren't necessarily mom, but serve the role of mom mm-hmm. in the life of a little one. Uh, thank you all for what you do. We really do appreciate it. And uh, I and hope you all have a wonderful day. And everybody in our office too. Oh yeah. Yeah. Some some super moms. Yeah, and and a couple birthdays out there too. Lisette. Oh, that's right. Lisette's Lisette. birthday. Happy birthday. Yeah. All right. Such good people. <laughs> All right. Well, that's gonna do it for the closing time podcast for May 12, twenty nineteen. For Abby Bro, I'm Joe McGuire. We'll talk to you next week.